Well, kia ora koutou, no mai mai, and welcome. As you can see, we've got a new slide, and so you know what that means. New series time. So today we're starting a series in the book of Ruth, and I, I just want to draw attention to this image. I love it. Um, so it's beautiful. Props to Andrea, our designer. But what I love about this is it's a bit of a juxtaposition, right? Uh, you've kind of got these earthy colors and this, this grass and then this majestic gold um, font here. And that's a lot like this book. Uh, this, this book, the book of Ruth, is about ordinary people doing pretty ordinary things. But in the background, behind the scenes, God is at work and he is doing something extraordinary. So, Tinopai, Andrea, um, props to you. This looks amazing. This story of Ruth is so important to the biblical narrative for many reasons. Firstly, because it parallels the gospel story. Ruth is this Gentile, widowed, foreign woman who is unable to save herself, and she's redeemed and, and rescued from uh, life as a poor outcast and is forever grafted into the family of God. That sounds like the gospel, right? But also, Ruth is the great-grandmother of David, who not only becomes king, but also receives what is called the Davidic covenant. And what that means uh, is, is God makes a promise with David in 2 Samuel 7 um, that David will always have one of his descendants on the throne of Israel. God, God says to him, I'm going to establish the throne of your kingdom forever. Isn't that an amazing promise that God makes with a man? And then 28 generations later, after the promise is made, who is born of the line of David? Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, David's descendant, who now sits enthroned in the heavens forever. God keeps his promises. And without the occurrence of these seemingly ordinary, insignificant events in the book of Ruth, there's no David, there's no Davidic covenant, there's no incarnation of Jesus, which means no Christmas, people, and no Easter, and ultimately no hope. And so this book is amazing, because it teaches us that God is the master author. He is fully sovereign and he holds eternity, past, present, future in the palm of his hand. And it's interesting, God doesn't even actually say a word in this book. But you can rest assured that he is working. And so as we come to read chapter one of Ruth, uh, let's pray. And then we're just going to read through the whole thing, okay? Lord, I want to pray uh, that as we open your word, you would, you would speak to us. And I pray that you would minister today to everyone who is listening. Help me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read through the whole thing. Chapter 1, verse 1. And keep it open because we're going to keep referring to this as we go on. So it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem uh, in Judah. Listen up. And they went to Moab and lived there. 
Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more better for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? And she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She told them. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is so, so real, right? Sometimes we forget that when we read the Bible, these are real people who have gone through this. And what's on my heart as we launch into the book of Ruth is this. God is at work even when we don't see it. He's even at work through our suffering. The unfortunate reality is that suffering is inevitable. What happened to Naomi in this passage is like genuinely really heart-wrenching and awful, and and I'm sure she had never considered that she'd lose both of her sons. And you may be able to identify with her story today in some way, Um, Or you may be watching this and you you might be fortunate enough to have not experienced anything like that. But one way or another, we're all going to experience suffering of some kind. And so we should talk about that. So let's talk about how how can we prepare for it. 
How can we have good perspective in it? And how can we find peace through it? Firstly, how, how can we be prepared? How can we be prepared? Um, invest in your relationship with the Lord. When things are going well, don't forget who got you there. I was reading the other day uh, in, in 2 Chronicles 12, and there's this king, Rehoboam, and, and it says this, After Rehoboam's position as king was established and he had become strong, he and all Israel abandoned the law. And you're like, oh man, you're so forgetful, Rehoboam. <laughs> but boy, do I identify with him. And I want to say to you, don't be like Rehoboam today. Be prepared. Be prepared. Do you know what a ship does when it's docked? Well, the ship doesn't do anything, but the workers get to work. The workers check the anchor and, and test and maintain the rigging and, and restock and refuel because there's no use getting to a storm and finding out that your ship's not ready, that your anchor's broken. And so if you find yourself in calm waters today, that is the perfect time to invest in your relationship with the Lord. And so how do we do that? We talk about this a lot, but let's read the Word. Let's read and get to know the Word. It's truth. Knowing the truth and writing it on your heart helps ground you when suffering comes. And naturally, you, you're overcome by your feelings and your emotions. I remember being out for a surf one day, uh, Typical Lyle Bay day, but it was, it was big. It was stormy and the waves were dumpy, right? And this kook got slammed, right? I got slammed. I got pushed underneath the water. And I just felt, I felt like I was in a washing machine, right? I, I found myself panicking and desperately trying to swim to the surface, but I had no idea which way was up. But I knew that if I relaxed... I begin to float in the direction of the surface. And truth is like the, the buoyancy that tugs you in the right direction when you don't know which way is up. And it's also that, that whisper in your mind that says, relax. If I, if I didn't know that truth or, or listen to it, I might not have made it through that moment. So the word, the truth, read it. Get it in you. But also, let's talk about prayer. Honest, genuine, prayerful rhythms will help you keep up the conversation with the Lord in, in tough situations. Naomi was really honest about how she was feeling with the Lord in this passage. She doesn't forget him or deny his existence. She doesn't turn to the gods of Moab, uh, the country that she's living in. She points her complaints to God. And I wonder, when you pray, does it feel like you're talking to like a really strict headmaster? God isn't like that. He's a good father. And the word says he already knows your needs before you ask. So I want to encourage you to be honest with him. Be real with him. He can take it. He can take it. Pete Gregg, who's the founder of 24-7 Prayer, encourages people to keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up when it comes to prayer. It doesn't need to be articulate or religious. It just needs to be real. It should be real. And then, how else can we prepare? 
worship. I'm not going to talk about this too much. I had a whole sermon about worship that you can watch if you really want. But all I say is this. Worship is what you were made to do. It's what we were all created to do. And it's the perfect way to take your eyes out of your suffering, your circumstance, and fix your eyes on Jesus. And if you don't know how to worship and adore Jesus when the waters are calm, you'll struggle to do it in the storm. So that's some of how we can be prepared for suffering. But what perspective should we have in suffering? Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God has our good in mind and will bring good out of bad situations. The Lord is at work and will work all things together for good. That's a promise. That's a promise. Naomi didn't see the blessing that was right in front of her in the person of Ruth. Naomi missed that Ruth was essentially taking a vow of poverty, leaving behind her country, her people, her family, just to go and be a companion to Naomi. What a blessing she was. And, and I wonder if you're experiencing suffering right now, I wonder if there's a Ruth in your life that you're not seeing, whether that's a person, whether that's a friend or family member, or it could be a provision from God. It could be an opportunity for spiritual conversation that you wouldn't have had if you weren't in this current season. God is always at work in the unseen, always at work. And now we, we might see that uh, in our lifetime, or we might not see the good until eternity. And let's, re let's remind ourselves of last week, what we learned. We learned that we're going to be glorified forever with the Lord. Fully renewed and restored, no sickness and no pain. And, and Jerem read from uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. God always works bad situations for the good of those who love him. Always, always remember that. Naomi's perspective in the, in the midst of deep suffering wasn't anchored in the eternal, and it meant that that suffering overwhelmed her to a point that she started to define herself by her suffering. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Don't call me that anymore. Call me Bitter. Call me Mara. And when the ancient Israelites who knew the Old Testament really well heard that word Mara, I think they would have thought of this famous passage in the book of Exodus. It's a little bit like a Wikipedia hyperlink. They would have heard Mara and gone, hmm. Exodus 15, 25, after the Jews had been freed from slavery in Egypt and they'd walked through the sea on dry land, which is incredible. It says this, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, here's that word, 
The water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Mara, which means better. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. God knows how to make the bitter better. And that leads me to my third point, which is peace. How do we find peace through and in suffering? Ultimately, we have to look to Jesus, right? We have to look to Jesus. Jesus knew what it was to suffer. He's referred to as a man of sorrows in Isaiah 53.3. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. And if you're experiencing pain or hurt today, Psalm 34.18 said he is near to the broken heart. He is close to the broken heart and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're weary and heavy laden today, he says, come to me and I will give you rest in Matthew 11. And if you're right in the thick of the storm, right in the eye of the storm, he's your anchor today. He's your hope. He's the king of peace who can silence the storm with a word like in Matthew, in Mark 4. And Moses threw a piece of wood into bitter waters, and they were made good to drink. And that's a picture, that's foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus Christ. To our bitterness, he is the remedy. To our suffering, he is our peace. And Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So what, right? So what, Jamie? What can I do with that information? What should I do out of this? Because I don't just want us to learn stuff today. I want us to apply stuff today. So if you're someone who is watching this and, and you're not walking through suffering right now, things are going well, that's awesome. Praise God. Like genuinely, that's amazing. But don't become complacent. Don't become complacent whilst your ship is in port. Strengthen the sails. Test the anchor. Refuel. Be prepared. Get good habits of prayer and worship and devotion in the Word every day. And I wonder if, if you're heading into a season uh, where suffering is coming. Maybe you've just found out some bad news about a loved one who's sick or You've got to refix your mortgage soon, and it's like interest rates are twice as high as when you did it last time. You might be looking at food prices and costs of living, and it is stressing you out. Maybe you're single, and, and you would just love to be married, and you, and you sense that pain. When Jesus was on the edge of suffering, Right before he went to the cross, he prayed and considered what it was that he was about to do. And he walked into it freely. And Hebrews 12, 2 tells us why. It says, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. His perspective was fixed 
on the eternal, on the joy that was coming for him at the end. And that's the salvation of us, right? His perspective was fixed on the joy. And in the same way, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter and pioneer of our faith. So I want to encourage you today to set your perspective on the Lord, the good that he will bring out of the bad situations and the eternity of good that is coming. And you might be watching this and and right now you are just right in the thick of it. Like you are right in the middle of suffering. Maybe you've begun to define yourself by your suffering. I, I am a widow, or I am anxious, or I am better like Naomi. I don't know about you, but I was so deeply moved by Karen Bain's testimony at Together two weeks ago. If you haven't seen it or you weren't at Together, you can watch it on our YouTube channel. In all of the uncertainty and the questions and the terrible, terrible suffering in her story, she said, the greatest intimacy she'd ever experienced was in that place of suffering. And she believes there is great privilege in suffering. Wow. She said the greatest answer to prayer is ultimately his presence. Isn't that beautiful? She had such a deep experience of the presence and peace and and intimacy of the Lord because he was all that she had left. And so I want to encourage you, even if times are tough right now, to turn to the Lord today because only he can take what is bitter and make it better. So I'd love to just pray before we finish. Lord, I want to thank you so much for the promise that you work all things together for good. I want to thank you so much that we can trust you. Just as you were faithful to your promise to David, that you would always put someone on the throne of Israel from his line. We thank you that we can trust the promise that you will always bring good out of bad situations. And Lord, in this moment, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we, we want to worship you. We want to say that you're still good. We want to praise you. In the, in the unseen, in the valley, in the difficult times, we choose to praise you. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.